lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Hey, Steve Dace here. If you are watching on demand or listening to the podcast, you know that I'm not where I normally am. And it's because we had another um, uh, very difficult wasp problem this morning. So we had to kind of move this uh, me to a secure location. All right. But we'll make sure to give you the same typical Friday show you always get with Feedback Friday an hour or two. And then, of course, the Dace Group. And we begin with our weekly look at the week that was with issue one. Bleep, Lord Nefarious says. What we learned from this climate, this uh, COVID crisis, we will be applying to the climate crisis. On top of that, the air is dry, allowing those flames to spread even more quickly. Both conditions are a result of climate change, fueling what is now California's 17th largest fire on records. Uh, but the, the world is changing, right? These storms are coming in more frequently. They're coming in more with more intensity. We are fast approaching unless we fundamentally do something in the next 12 to 24 months, an irreversible problem that we're gonna be facing this week, every single week. And we think the citizens that were not brought out number in the low, very low hundreds. The extraordinary success of this mission was due to the incredible skill, bravely, and selfless courage of the United States military and our diplomats. How does diplomacy get those people out of the Taliban-controlled Afghanistan? It's not completely unlike the way we do it elsewhere around the world. I mean, we have uh, Americans that get stranded in in, uh, in countries all the time. Any effort to end our military presence yes. in Afghanistan was going to be filled with uh, heartbreaking scenes and difficulties. And I think uh, the Biden administration has managed that as well as it could be managed under the circumstances we were placed in. There's little doubt that the domestic terrorist threat from uh, white nationalist and right-wing extremist groups is greater than the jihadist threat today. Guns. You shot that guy in the stomach. They leave a toll of death and despair across America. Every day we turn on the news and there are more young people dying. I swore to the president and to this country that I would protect your health. Um, this is clearly one of those moments, one of those issues that is harming America's health. Like I, I have an Antifa flag on my on my wall, um, and a student complained about that, and he said it made him feel uncomfortable. Well, this is meant to make fascists feel uncomfortable, so if you feel uncomfortable, I, I don't really know what to tell you. <laughs> like, maybe you shouldn't be aligning with the, the values that it, this is antithetical to. Now that the vaccine has full approval from the FDA, the, the Pfizer vaccine, would you like to see it mandated for students elsewhere in the U.S.? And once it's approved for kids under 12, should it be mandated for them too? I believe that mandating vaccines for children to appear in school is a good idea. Make sure your child is masked when they leave home. That's how we can best keep our kids safe. To suggest that people can leave the state of Texas People don't have the means to do so. We are in the middle of a pandemic, and it is just really cruel. I'll just remind people that abortion is broadly popular, and the elected body of the government might want to think about doing something to protect a broadly popular policy. So what Biden needs to do is, via executive order, create a federal force of doctors protected, clothed in the protection of the state, which would protect them through qualified immunity from private civil actions. Send them to Texas to counsel and protect women's privacy rights. And if they want to provide some medical procedures in the course of protecting 
people's constitutional rights, they can do that as well. That's one of the craziest damn things I've ever heard in my entire life. Okay. And, and I, I, I say that. I, I say that given everything we have experienced these last few years and the last few months in particular. I, I, I've not seen that clip before. Let me get this straight. A black man went on national television demanding that an old white man and former friend to the grand cyclops of the KKK create a federal force of roving, marauding band of murderers. Did I see that? Is, is that how that montage ended? Good freaking night. Josh Hammer, former clerk on the U.S. Court of Appeals. What was your most rancid bile on display this week, brother? My most rancid bile on display this week. I mean, there's a lot. There's there's a lot to choose from there, obviously. But I mean, when you hear government officials from the Biden administration talking about, and they sound very glib and carefree about this, as if it's no big deal whatsoever, talking about how the number of Americans stranded in Afghanistan is oh, it's in the low hundreds, no big deal. We do this all the time. It's the Taliban. It's like it's the Czech Republic. It's Mexico. It's Japan. It's the Taliban. This is the Taliban. The failure to understand at such a rudimentary, basic level that we are not dealing here with a normal geopolitical actor. We are dealing with 6th to 7th century era barbaric cavemen. Barbaric cavemen. That is what the Sharia supremacists believe. That is what the jihadists believe. Uh, Taliban, according to its, its conception of Sunni Islam, is barely distinguishable. I'm sure there are kind of arcane, abstruse differences that are probably um, over the heads of, of, of non-Muslims like you and I. But at, at a very basic level, they believe effectively the same stuff that ISIS believes. It is literally trying to return us to seven seconds. The notion that we would evacuate all of our personnel there before getting every single U.S. citizen out is mind-blowing. It's actually probably the leading reason above all that my column out today is actually calling for Joe Biden's impeachment, which is never going to happen, obviously. Republicans obviously do not control the House and by extension, the House Judiciary Committee. But I think what's happened here is eminently impeachable, frankly, on the actual merits of it. And by the way, I say that as someone who for years has actually called us to get out of this boondoggle, this nation-building escapade that was always horrible in the first instance. But the way this was done, I, I, I mean, it's been weeks now, Steve, and this is still the number one issue because the American people just can't look away because they understand at such an intuitive level of this is just so wrong. The way this has been done is just so egregiously, flagrantly wrong here. And so for the administration to get on MSNBC, to get on CNN and put on their kind of smug face and say, oh, it's just in the few hundred stranded there. We do this all the time. We'll talk to that. Like, no, this is a terrorist organization. They harbored bin Laden and Al-Qaeda. So, I, look, I just cannot emphasize that enough. I mean, it, it, it is bat crap, Looney Tune stuff, and it, it really shouldn't infuriate anyone with any basic sense of American patriotism, I think. We will talk more about the idea of impeachment here in a second. Uh, but uh, Josh, because he just uniquely likes to be disdained, left the law profession, which is about as popular as the wasps in my studio, and then joined <laughs> the media, all right, as the op-ed page editor for Newsweek, just decided, you know what, let me check another box and make sure that people just really leave me alone on the weekends. So, Josh, let me go back to you as a follow-up. What is the, what's the benign explanation for how ridiculous 
the execution of this Afghan pullout has been? What's the benign explanation? I mean, I mean, they only had four trillion dollars in 20 years of time to prep for it. So what is the benign explanation here? Oh, God. I mean, the benign explanation is probably just uh, bureaucratic misfeasance. I mean, like, I, I, I guess the Biden administration would say, um, you know, I, I'm living here in Miami, Florida. I, I got breakfast this morning. I, I won't name names, but a former Trump administration official uh, was a friend of mine. And she was kind of just telling me uh, about the, how the bureaucracy that she worked in. It was just like nightmare upon nightmare of just kind of cutting through the red tape of kind of being able to access the right people. Just the, the basic bureaucratic infrastructure of all these kind of agencies is just monstrous. Um, there's so much kind of duplication. Um, there's no kind of synergies. Uh, the, the, the whole basic structure of the administrative state is just, uh, it, it is horrible. It's one of the many reasons that conservatives have opposed, opposed it by and large for years. So I guess the benign explanation is that a withdrawal of this magnitude probably in theory required a ton of coordination across the intelligence community, across the defense department, across the state department, diplomatic corps, um, all the way up through the national security council. The White it basically involved a lot of simultaneously operating moving parts here, but because of what I just said, they probably just were not able to actually get in sync. So I guess the benign explanation, which I would probably rephrase as kind of an, an apologia, the, I guess the, the, the apologetic explanation would be like, so let's take on kind of the Bagram Air Force Base evacuation, right? I mean, the Defense Department maybe thought that someone else would handle that. Don't ask me who. Seems like a pretty clear bread and butter Defense Department. Indeed. I mean, who else, would, uh, who else would handle the defense and evacuation of an airfield uh, besides the Defense Department? It's totally logical why they would punt on that and think someone else was, was, on, the, uh, was on the wall for that. Yes. Yeah, no, I have no, I have no idea, right? I mean, but like maybe like they thought that like the the prisoners that were freed when we evacuated Bagram Air Base would actually be handled by state that is shipped to a prison. I I really have no idea here, but pure kind of bureaucratic red tape and failure to coordinate cross agencies is, I think, the most benign explanation possible. I do not subscribe to that explanation, to be clear. Um, I I, I do not think that this was benign in, in any sense. But that's probably the best that I can do as far as I guess. So, folks, I want you to know. Uh, Josh Hammer is one of the smartest people I know. And what he just said there is one of the most insanely idiotic things we have ever heard. At no point in any of that rambling did he utter anything that came close to a coherent thought. <laughs> All of us are dumber for having heard it. And may God have mercy on our souls. All right. So he is one of the smartest people I know. And yet trying to find a benign explanation for this reduced him to intellectual rubble. So there you go. Aaron, go ahead. So the, the craziest ride on the crazy train uh, this week, if in case you needed any more indication, any more cluing into what the whole response of, of COVID has been from mostly Western governments, look no further than the words of Justin Trudeau. And then this week, right on cue with the fires out West and the, the, the hurricane down South. Um, we're going to do with COVID what we're going to do with climate change, global warming, what we're going to do. And then he proceeded to list off a, a number of, of left-wing talking points about uh, problems within society. See, this was never really, never really, maybe for uh, uh, two seconds back in March of 2020, this was never really about a virus. This was about the Great Reset or whatever you want to call it. That's what, when they started to taste the power that we gave them because of our fear of this virus, which emanated most likely out of a, a lab a few thousand miles away. When we let them taste a little bit of that power, they thought, hmm, 
I can do a lot with this. That's probably the craziest ride. Just completely telegraphing the spirit of the age's next moves if we let them actually go that route. Amen. So let's get to the exit question, gentlemen. On a scale of one to ten, with one being as empty and void as Lindsey Graham's fully verified Tinder account, and ten being as overflowing and hyperactive as Lindsey Graham's burner account on Grinder. Rate this week's level of total depravity, Josh. I'll I'll give it a solid nine. Solid nine. You like that question? You liked it? I can see you liked it. You liked it. I saw that. All right, Aaron. I love the I love I love the Lindsey Graham jokes. Uh, for me, it's a 10. <laughs> All right, let's get to the answers like a 14 after I watch that insane clip from CNN at the end. Let's get to issue two, impeach. Joe Biden took a victory lap on his disastrous pullout from Afghanistan. The extraordinary success of this mission was due to the incredible skill, bravely, and selfless courage of the United States military and our diplomats. This was after the Pentagon confirmed hundreds of Americans were left behind. And we think the citizens that were not brought out number in the low, very low hundreds. Then the UK Daily Mail obtained the transcript of one of the final calls between Biden and now former Afghan President Ghani in July, where the former tried to pressure the latter into downplaying the regrowing threat of the Taliban. Quote, I need not tell you the perception around the world and in parts of Afghanistan, I believe, is that things are not going well in terms of the fight against the Taliban. And there is a need, whether it is true or not, there is a need to project a different picture, end quote. To boil this all down, Biden knew the Taliban was moving rapidly back in July, and instead of changing course and developing a better plan to get Americans out, stayed the course, which resulted in 13 American service members being blown to bits by ISIS and left behind at least 200 other Americans in Taliban-controlled land before declaring victory. Well, indeed, uh, this would just be the latest uh, example of a male in the Biden family experiencing a bad pullout. So, Josh, let's go to you for the first question here. Uh, is what has, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm in a mood, bro. I'm on tilt. I'm on edge. Everybody just needs to be warned. Okay. Is, is what has transpired here with leaving Americans behind? We really put this question in for you, knowing you're going to be on the panel. You're the legal expert here. Okay. So is what has transpired here with leaving Americans behind in Afghanistan, reportedly urging Afghan leadership to lie about the true strength of the Taliban in advance of that pullout. Are these things high crimes and misdemeanors? Are they impeachable, Josh? The floor is yours. Well, Steve, my column today is literally entitled, quote, impeach Joe Biden. So I guess that kind of gives the game away at the outset. But I think Spoiler the answer to this alert. question. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think the answer to this question is clearly yes, um, especially, obviously, when you take as precedent the fact that the Democrats recently tried to impeach President Trump for a very uh, – anodyne. I mean, it was an imperfect phone call with Vladimir Zelensky of Ukraine, but it was fairly inoffensive, honestly. This phone call obviously was back in July 2019. They started impeachment later that year, around September or October 2019. And the entire point of this phone call was that it was so illicit. It was so horrible to dangle over the heads of Ukraine, $400 million in foreign aid that, by the way, was subsequently dispersed. Okay, That aid ultimately went out. It wasn't like the aid didn't go out I think it even went out on time. I don't even know if there was actually ultimately a delay on it. But the notion that this attempted kind of 
quid pro quo uh, with respect to the various corrupt prosecutor elements on the ground in Ukraine was so horrible, was such a high crime misdemeanor. Democrats launched an entire impeachment on this. That Ghani phone call, which we just read the transcript of, that phone call alone is orders of magnitude worse than what President Trump did to Zelensky. So literally just talking about the phone call, taking what the Democrats did to Trump as president as a sheer kind of phone call to phone call, apples to apples comparison here, he really should be impeached with that recent president on that alone. But the argument obviously goes much further than that. You know, I, I was just talking a few minutes ago, obviously, about the fact that we stranded uh, hundreds of people there. No big deal. We negotiate with people all the time, whether it's the Czech Republic or Poland or the Taliban. But that is, it, it, it is hard to think of a more solemn dereliction of duty. And let's not mince words here. The president's foremost constitutional duty under a constitutional structure is to be commander-in-chief of the armed forces. Um, he, uh, he is obviously the head of the executive branch, but the commander-in-chief prerogative is the foremost solemn duty that the president swears to uphold and, and protect and defend. To willfully take all of our troops out of there after 20 years, it's not like they had to plan this overnight. They had a very long time to figure out how to get out every single last American. And by the way, a way to figure out how to get out every single last American while prioritizing them over the thousands of Afghans who we've shuttled onto various military convoys and flown to kind of way stations in the UAE and Qatar on their way to America for all sorts of kind of immigration, refugee visa loophole nonsense. So looking at the picture combined here, I absolutely think that what has happened over the last month is impeachable to kind of just put like a little kind of black letter constitutional law teeth on it. The actual criteria for presidential impeachment is treason, bribery, or high crimes and misdemeanors. Now, some people look at the high crimes misdemeanors phrase and they say, oh, like you have, you have to actually commit like a literal criminal offense, similar to how Bill Clinton committed perjury in the late 1990s. It's actually not true. The phrase high crimes and misdemeanors was a, it was a legal term of art at common law. The founders understood this very readily. There's a, there's a direct, unambiguous citation here. It's Federalist 65. Alexander Hamilton, one of my very favorite founding fathers, explains that high crimes and misdemeanors refers to a, a violation of some public trust. It is kind of like a, like a lofty, overarching, egregious failure on behalf of the president to maintain the trust of the citizenry that he or she is sworn to, uh, to overlook. It seems to me that's pretty clearly what's happened here. So I, I personally think the case for impeachment is pretty strong, especially when you bear in mind what the Democrats have recently done to Trump. And I'm thinking about that ridiculous Ukraine Zelensky phone call impeachment. Josh, in, in one minute, can you answer this follow-up for us? In the history of the presidency, is there anything that it can you can draw a parallel to, to importing tens of thousands of foreign, unvetted foreign nationals? Um, I think it was only something like 7,000 of the Afghans we brought in, according to the Pentagon, are under some form of a visa, meaning previously vetted, that we have a documentation of them being vetted. So tens of thousands of people uh, from a foreign country, unvetted, that we imported them, while leaving hundreds of Americans behind. Can you think of any parallel to that in American history? No, I, I, I mean, I, I, I can't. I, I, I'm trying to think here. I mean, obviously, the, you know, the, the Bracero program in the middle of the 20th century, we brought in a lot of um, Mexican labor. It wasn't like, it wasn't like we were stranding Americans, um, you know, in Mexico or anything like that. I mean, I, 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 I literally cannot think of anything similar quite to this, no. I mean, it wasn't like we were stranding Americans by and large in Germany after uh, victory in Berlin in 1945. I, 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 I really don't know, honestly. Well, 
I think that makes a simple, a very simple to grasp case for impeachment then right then and there. If we're talking about an act that cost is going to cost the American some American people their lives, that there's no parallel or precedent for in American history, if that's not impeachable, then I guess I don't know what is. Let's get to the exit question. Will a potential Republican majority House in 2023 impeach Joe Biden? Aaron, I'll let you go first since you have been sitting out for a bit. Guys, I, I agree that it's an impeach. There are multiple impeachable angles here, but I, I don't think that we're going to see that. I mean, we haven't seen we've seen a few people here and there, but there's been no serious effort from uh, that I've seen anyway from leadership to talk about this or re- resignation or, or anything along the likes. I mean, if the shoe was on the other foot and I know you don't come to our show for takes like that, if the shoe were on the other foot, I mean, President Trump would have been removed by now. We're in the middle of removal by now, wouldn't he have not? Uh, we, we can't even muster. We can't even muster uh, articles of impeachment, apparently. Josh, your answer, what do you think? I tend to agree with Aaron, I think. Um, half the reason I wrote this column today was that there isn't a whole lot of movement on this right now. It, it, this is not kind of a well-circulated Republican talking point. I've seen, you know, congressmen here or there. I saw like Lee Zeldin a couple weeks ago call for President Biden to resign. I think Josh Hawley had said something similar. But the I word, the impeach word, is something that I really haven't heard a whole lot of of late. So that was kind of the entire impetus for me to write this write this comment in the first place. Um, so um, I, I, I share Aaron's pessimism. I, I probably don't see it happening. The uh, the other thing to bear in mind here is if quickly, very quickly, the House. Well, uh, another right, massive here. scandal that happened by then. Okay, we'll come back. We're up against the break. We'll come back with more of the day's group here in just a moment. Stay tuned. Hey, if you're struggling with chronic pain, boy, I'm really looking down. Uh, if you're struggling with the chronic pain, a uh, variety of achiness, stiffness, soreness. I'm not talking about the stuff that uh, is because uh, you got stung by bees and you're deathly allergic, uh, or you fell off a ladder or some other mishap. No, I'm, um, which you know might happen to the people that come in and uh, try to look at the bees because accidents happen. Uh, if this happens to you, go get uh, medical treatment. But if you have uh, a, a chronic variety ailment, chances are. Uh, That is inflammation, too much inflammation in the body. So get yourself a 100% anti-inflammatory that's all natural. Uh, And it's one that I use each and every day as well, backed by 35 years of clinical research. And it's called Omega XL. And right now they're offering you buy one bottle, get a second one for free today. Buy one, get a second one for free today when you go to OmegaXL.com slash Steve. That's OmegaXL.com slash Steve or Give them a call at 800-844-4888, 800-844-4888. Back here with our good friend, Josh Hammer, uh, the op-ed page editor for Newsweek, along with Aaron as we continue on with the day group. Let's get to issue three. Is Roe v. Wade on the brink of extinction? This week, the Supreme Court voted 5-4 against blocking a Texas law which bans abortions after six weeks of development. 
All three justices appointed by Donald Trump joined the majority, while Chief Justice Roberts, a George W. Bush appointee, joined with the baby killers. At issue, it seems, both in the majority and minority opinions, is that the novel nature of the enforcement mechanism of this particular bill, that it would allow private citizens to sue baby killers if they kill a baby after six weeks of age. Whatever the case, this is at the very least the first major threat to destabilize Roe v. Wade in decades. And with the Mississippi 15-week abortion ban headed to the Supreme Court soon, we could continue to see some chipping away at the most heinous of Supreme Court rulings. Hmm. Now, I know what you're thinking. I mean, uh, you know, a bunch of three guys sitting around talking about abortion. But the good news is uh, that men can now get pregnant. Uh, and Planned Parenthood has tweeted repeatedly, as has the ACLU, uh, that men can have a uterus. So we are perfectly qualified, unfortunately, according to uh, Jen Psaki. We'll have to circle back on her transphobic comments yesterday. Uh, the three of us are perfectly qualified to discuss this matter, so uh, make it so. Josh, again, we'll go back to you first with your legal expertise. Your read on what this decision does, doesn't mean, and maybe signals for the future. Yeah, so are, are we like transuteral now? Is that like the, the word to use? Uh, if we can get uteruses, uteri, whatever the word is, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to go there. But okay, <laughs> coming back to the subject matter at hand here. So uh, look, it's obviously an encouraging sign what the Supreme Court did, okay? Um, it, it shows that Justices Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh in particular have at least a little bit more backbone than I think that a lot of us kind of thought they might have after they kind of failed to grant a writ of cert and agree to hear the Arlene's Flowers case back in late June, early July. That's, of course, the Baronel Stutzman case out of Washington State. Uh, it's kind of been a high profile religious liberty litigation case for the better part of a decade now. Barron and Kavanaugh were, were quite cowardly from my perspective and failing to agree to hear that case. They were, they were also kind of mealy mouthed on the Fulton versus City of Philadelphia case which was the uh, marquee religious liberty case from the Supreme Court's docket this past term with respect to the Catholic Social Services Adoption Agency in Philadelphia. So there, it, it, there were very much some kind of waffling signs at best with respect to those two justices in particular. So the fact they both voted here with uh, Thomas, Alito, and Gorsuch is encouraging. On the other hand, this really should have been unanimous. Um, you know, Ed Whelan, who I've debated a couple times on other issues, had a blog post for National Review's Bench Memo's blog, I think a day or two ago, saying this should have been unanimous because what they were ruling on there actually didn't have to do with Roe versus Wade or Planned Parenthood versus Casey. It was a purely kind of procedural posture looking lawsuit. They basically were deciding whether or not they had to, on an emergency basis, preliminarily enjoy enforcement of the statute 24 hours after it went into effect. And in a situation like that, there is an extreme burden, obviously, for obvious reasons, on the party moving to enjoin this to show that it has to be enjoined. But this court couldn't even really get to the balancing test required there because no one who had standing was able to bring a lawsuit because, as we said in the opening there in, in the teaser, because of the novel way this statute is enforced. So it, 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 it really what happened here is kind of from my opinion, on the one hand, it's encouraging because this is a culturally charged case. So Barrett and Kavanaugh voting the correct way is definitely encouraging. It's obviously not discouraging. On the other hand, it doesn't actually tell us a whole lot because none of, the, none of what they ruled on here has anything to do with actual abortion jurisprudence. Those lawsuits are going to come soon. Obviously, we have the Dobbs case out of Mississippi, which the court has agreed to hear this coming term. So we're going to get a lot of clarity within the next 10 to 12 months or so 
But for now, it's encouraging. But um, I don't think it's nearly as big a deal as some folks, both the right and the left, making it out to be. Well, far be it for me to slightly disagree with you on this, given your expertise, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to. And, and here's why. Um, because this law, there have been, I think this is the 13th or 14th heartbeat bill that has come up uh, or has come out of a legislature. But this is the first one that was done, that was created specifically as a get around. You pointed this out, that, that this is being done uh, in order, uh, it was constructed, I don't know, now there's somebody at the front door. What the hell is this, the state fair? I mean, goodness gracious, okay? <laughs> Let me get back to my point here. I'm gonna tell everybody watching this right now, when I get off the air today, whoever the hell owns this building is gonna wish my dad wore a condom that night. Now back to what I was saying. Um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, but this law is the 13th or 14th such heartbeat bill that's been created. But this was done specifically as a get around via the enforcement mechanism. Basically a dad uh, could sue an abortion, uh, an abortion doctor if he killed his kid. Is basically in a, on a civil level what this does. And I think that's what is so confusing about this. It takes the state out of the formal enforcement mechanism aspect of this. But secondly, this is the first time since Roe that the Supreme Court has allowed to stand, at least that I'm aware of, I'll refer to you on a greater knowledge of precedent, a deeper knowledge of precedent catalogs, uh, Josh. But it's the first time, whether it's a, a strictly procedural argument or what have you, it is the first time that I'm aware of since Roe that the U.S. Supreme Court has allowed to stand the definition of what is a life in the womb. When, when is when is a life a life? This takes us back to the original Roe v. Wade hearing when I think it was Justice White who asked the NARAL attorney if the state defined a fetus as a person. What would that do to your entire argument? And she, and she kind of nervously giggles and says, well, I mean, it would, it would eradicate her argument, it would blow the whole thing up. At this point in time, the state of Texas, which exported Roe, has now brought us to the rest of the country, has now brought us full circle. This takes effect when we agree life has taken effect, that, that, that there is life at the detection of a heartbeat. And regardless of what the rationale was for why they permitted this law to take effect, there is no doubt that there is a law in effect today, Josh, that says when a being in a womb has a detectable heartbeat, that is a human being. This, I, I don't know of a precedent that has been done since Roe. If you go back to Carhartt versus Gonzalez, if you read that opinion on late term or partial birth abortions, they basically said, hey, if you use another method of doing it, it's totally fine. This particular method is bad. That's, that's why we still have like late term abortions. We're like one of only six or seven countries in the world that still has this. In this case, there wasn't some kind of modifier, does a fetus feel pain or anything of that nature. Life exists with a heartbeat. That is now the law of the second largest state in the union. I think that absolutely does. Uh, at the very least, it's some form of a body blow to Roe, Josh. So fair enough. Uh, totally fair here. And like, I, I, I obviously am not disappointed in what the Supreme Court has done. I, I, I don't want to belittle it either. Um, I guess just kind of two rebuttal points. One is the statute was very, very, very cleverly drafted. Um, I, I, I know some of the lawyers who are behind this here. Like I said, it's, it's very much kind of like a short to midterm thing because we're going to get longer term clarity once the Supreme Court rules on that Dobbs case out of Mississippi. So the statute and, and the very unique novel procedural ways in which it was kind of drafted are, are it's kind of just short term 
whacking at bushes until we get some more definitive rulings. But nonetheless, you're right. They do say uh, they pronounce exactly what you said they pronounced in the bill. They also simultaneously say, I don't remember the exact language verbatim, but there's something in, in the bill that, or I guess well, the law now, excuse me, there's something in the law that says um, nothing in this act shall be construed to uh, violate Roe versus Wade or something like that. So the, the lawyerly language is, it, it's crafty. They're kind of, it, it's trying to have it both ways, obviously, uh, which, which, which is intentional strategy. And I guess it's the other point that I would make here, um, you know, I, I, again, who was suing here, they were trying to sue a judge based out of Tyler, Texas. It's actually a great op-ed that I published today up in Newsweek, if I could just do a little self-promotion. Not my own op-ed. I uh, published my dear friend Josh Blackman, who's a South Texas College of Law professor, who has a really kind of crisp, succinct, about a thousand-word piece, just really kind of just walking through step-by-step step why the Supreme Court very clearly had to do what it had to do here. And it's because there was simply no one bringing a lawsuit who under kind of basic legal doctrine had standing to bring a lawsuit. But that's going to disappear soon. Once once we get actually, once the private plaintiffs, because the enforcement mechanism here, as we said at the outset, the state is not enforcing the law. It's kind of relying on private on, on private actors to do so. Texas Right to Life has set up this kind of whistleblower uh, directory website. It, it, it's totally novel and very interesting from a lot of perspectives. So, but what, the upshot, the point here is that once we get actual litigation, once these plaintiffs start to bring these lawsuits, once the abortion providers, the Planned Parenthoods and the other abortionists can then actually say that they have standing as defendants um, in contrast to these plaintiffs bringing the suits, then the court can only kind of dilly-dally on this procedural stuff for so long. They're eventually going to have to get around that and get to the substantive abortion jurisprudence, which, of course, is Planned Parenthood versus Casey's undue burden standard. So it really is, for now, it's a good sign, and I and I agree with you, but we're still kind of playing footsie on the procedural issues, and we haven't actually gotten to the nuts and bolts of the court's egregiously wrong abortion jurisprudence yet. We're going to get there very soon, but for now, it's encouraging, but the much bigger mountain to climb is still a, a little bit of a ways away at this point. All right, let's get to the exit question here. Aaron, you go first again. Exit question, will you be able to legally obtain an abortion to kill your child in all 50 U.S. states five years from now? Aaron? Uh, no, no, you will not be. I, I think, the, um, I think the, 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 the tide turned a while ago on the life issue culturally, and now we're seeing judicially and politically as well. So there is going to be... Um, and I don't think, think it's going to be all 50 states, but there's going to be several states where that is not going to be the case. Josh, what say you? You know, I'm not entirely confident there, there will be any states that truly ban abortion from the time of conception. There might be there might be two or three, right? Mississippi, Alabama. It's possible to envision a few states. But I do think that we're – God, it's so hard to say. I, I hate making these kind of optimistic predictions. I think there's a decent to solid chance that Casey versus Planned Parenthood will be effectively overturned in the Dobbs case. And that would allow the states a much, much, much broader leeway to regulate, quote unquote, pre-viability abortion. So I guess the answer to the question for all intents and purposes is, is uh, no. Let's go right to issue four, our kicker question here. If indeed Roe versus Wade is finally toppled, what is the next awful Supreme Court precedent that the right should zero in on overturning? Josh, I'll go to you first. Um, you know, hard to say. I mean, I, I, this is kind of be like a legally nerdy answer, to be honest with you. But 
Fourth Amendment jurisprudence and criminal procedure, you know, Fourth Amendment, of course, is your constitutional right against unreasonable searches and seizures, has long been, from my perspective, unfavorably tilted too much in favor of criminals and away from law enforcement and police. Um, Ed Meese, when he was Reagan's attorney general, famously said that, that if there was one precedent that he could overturn, it would be Miranda versus Arizona. Those are actually, you know, your Miranda rights. You know, you have a right to do whatever. We, we, we know from law and order. Miranda versus Arizona and a lot of that kind of 1960s era war in court criminal procedure case law is deeply destructive to policing and law enforcement and the rule of law. And we're increasingly living in high criminal anarchic times right now. So that is the next body of law that I would turn to and say we really need to overturn a lot of this. Aaron, quickly to you, brother. Obergefell. That's a good answer. I thought about Plyler. Kilo versus New London, I think would be another one. I mean, we forget how bad that one was. That's one of the worst in recent memory as well. Let's get to predictions. Josh, you get to go first. As far as predictions here, so, you know, look, we're entering college football season, uh, which obviously is a special time, I know, on this program, and, and, and we're, we're all fans here. Um, I'm going to try to make it to numerous SEC games uh, nice. this season. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm trying to get up to the Swamp in Gainesville. We'd love to get back to Tuscaloosa at some point. Um, I, I am not an Alabama Crimson Tide fan per se. I've been to games there. It's a wonderful experience. But at the start of the season, I'm going to go out and say that I do predict they will re repeat as national champions this year. And everybody that doesn't live in Alabama yawned. Uh, Aaron, go ahead. Um, so tomorrow night's uh, big matchup between Georgia and Clemson. Georgia will prevail rather convincingly, and it will not be Clemson's wow. only loss of the season. Wow. I think, they'll, I think they'll not, drop one more. That is not one of Aaron's week. Let me pick an NFL preseason game. Oh, I can That's, give you some more. Who's playing the next no, year's yeah, I mean, that was, uh, Hall of Fame no, game? No, I don't. Yeah, okay. I, I don't want that. No, I don't. No, that Polica stands equipped with when you're ahead. I mean, that was a that was a pretty boss prediction. I liked it. All right. Uh, I'm going to the uh, I'm going to the MCU. My prediction this week is that Shung Chi, from a comic almost no one read growing up, is actually going to shatter the box office record for a Labor Day opening, uh, which has been held since 2007. It's about $31 million. It, it was, it's been held since 2007 by one of the Halloween movies. I'm gonna predict, despite Delta and everything else, that Shang-Chi is going to shatter that record at the box office this weekend for the MCU. Any thoughts on that one, Aaron? Uh, that would be, uh, wouldn't that, so, MCU notwithstanding, wouldn't that be a pretty encouraging, a pretty encouraging development, a pretty encouraging story if that actually took place? Shows you people, people in mass are like, um, maybe I'm scared about the Delta variant. I want to go see this movie more. That means maybe sanity is starting to win out. So aside from the MCU and what that could mean about how good the movie actually is, which should be exciting, I think overall, culturally, that's, that would be a really positive development. That's a good point. This isn't a mainstream character that a lot of people know or have watched for years or a, a high-selling comic book. It's kind of an obscure character. So if it shatters that record this weekend, I think whether you like this content or not, you should cheer that if you want some form of sanity to prevail. Good point there, Aaron. Josh, thank you for bearing with us. Good to see you again as always, brother. Take care, all right? God bless.
Absolutely. All right, we'll come back uh, while we continue the struggle for survival here to bring you this live program with feedback Friday. We'll respond to your responses to us here next. And we're back here with Hour 2 live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre. I didn't even mention Todd has the day off today. I think if you watched the show yesterday or heard it, you know that. He's taking his daughter on an official recruiting visit at the University. It's the University of Arkansas this weekend, isn't it, Aaron, I believe? That's correct. My understanding is she had an official at uh, Oklahoma State last weekend. So big things are happening for that girl. Uh, that's that's absolutely phenomenal. I think they're going to uh, take in the uh, Arkansas Rice football game as part of that visit uh, on Saturday, a little Southwest Conference throwback action. So uh, Todd and uh, all of us will return again on Tuesday after the long Labor Day weekend. It just remains to be seen whether I will set foot back in that studio again. I have some I've got some people I need to speak with after the program today. Um, pray for them. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, where we will lie to you there. Uh, we will tell you the truth of what we really think, though, if you look for us on Twitter at Steve Day Show or MeWe, Parlor, Getter, or Gab. You can also get clips of the show that are free of censorship uh, when you go to Rumble.com and free to watch there, too, at Rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. And again, the last name is D-E-A-C-E. And if you're a podcast listener, we appreciate all of you. Uh, you have been one of the driving forces uh, in the explosive growth of this program uh, over the last uh, year plus. And we thank all of you that have uh, taken part in that or uh, liked us or given us a five-star review or subscribed. If you have not yet done that, though, and, and you would be willing to do so, you also can uh, help participate in the growth of our program by doing those two things. So thank you very much to all of you. Uh, for the five-star reviews and for subscribing as well. Let's get to some Feedback Friday brought to you by Patriot Mobile. Do you find yourself turning on the news these days, feeling a tad hopeless, open borders, spending gone crazy, the prospect of more mandates, inflation, the list goes on. There is something you can do, though, and that is to do business with companies that agree and believe what you and I believe. And that's where you can do that with a company like Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. They offer the same broad nationwide coverage you get from everybody else because they all use pr pretty much the same towers. Patriot Mobile, though, has plans to fit any budget and their 100% U.S.-based customer service team provides exceptional customer support. More importantly, though, they share your values. They don't just have a great product and great customer service. They share your values. They'll never give your money to the causes that are trying to undo your way of life. So go to patriotmobile.com slash Steve. That's patriotmobile.com slash Steve or call 972-PATRIOT to get a free activation with the offer code Steve. They've always got special discounts for veterans and first responders as well as multi-line accounts. You can support, again, a company that loves American exceptionalism like you do. With patriotmobile.com slash Steve, use the offer code Steve for a free activation at patriotmobile.com slash Steve or call 972-PATRIOT. Let us begin with some feedback Friday. Aaron, are you ready to go? You bet. Let's start by going to the land down under. Nathan Smith says, I'm a fan from Melbourne, Australia. And I wanted to share what's happening here right now and just how bad it is. A few weeks ago, we entered into our sixth lockdown. Let me stop there. 
he says they entered into their sixth lockdown, which was meant to be a seven day snap lockdown. Um, on the first day of September, they, it was announced that they will be in a lockdown until the 23rd of September when vaccinate vaccination rates are at 70%. And even then the, the easing of restrictions will be minimal. A seven day lockdown will become a seven week lockdown. On that date, Melbourne will hold the record for the most days in lockdown since this all began. Playgrounds were re listen to how draconian this sounds. Playgrounds were reopened a few days ago, but only for under 12s. And people must check in with a QR code. Now the and, and <laughs> I mean, this is crazy. Uh, you have to wear masks not eat or drink and only one parent or guardian per kid can be present now the premier has announced that after the 23rd date and unvaccinated people will still be locked out of many places including sporting events cinemas pubs etc nathan says my fiance and i still won't be getting the vaccine as we don't feel comfortable just yet and we won't be blackmailed or bullied we stopped following the rules many months ago as well. We are over this. We are locked up. We are frustrated. We are deprived of the things that make life life. Many people are in the same boat and protests are getting larger, but nothing seems to change. And unfortunately, many still support all of this. And the police have also acted horribly as well. Nathan, thank you for your note. And I mean, we're just beyond just destroyed by what's happening down under to you people. And I think though, for us up here, we need to understand that this is what godless democracy without a second amendment looks like. What, what made the American experiment successful for so long is the idea that our rights come from God and not from government. And that if government should ever disagree with that, the Second Amendment gives us permission to um, defend ourselves uh, against that government. That essentially we can say to government, the point of the Second Amendment is our rights come from God, not you. And if you don't like it, I have a gun. In fact, I have several. That, that's really, that's, that's really the, the, I mean, the cornerstone of American exceptionalism were the great awakenings that gave birth to liberty here, right? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That's really the cornerstone. But the, the, the physical manifestation in the natural world of why this has been successful is that we have declared our rights come from God and not government. And should government ever disagree with that, with that creed, with that notion, we have guns. That's basically it, guys. That's the American experiment in a, in a sentence. Our rights come from God and not government. And should government ever disagree, we have guns. That's it. And there is no such thing as freedom and liberty and democracy without those two things, as they are seeing in France and Italy, 
where protests against vaccine passports there continue to grow and yet are continually ignored. And the same thing is going on as Nathan just articulates Aaron there in Australia as well. What are your thoughts? That's well said. And I, I think it's also a reminder as well of, of two things. I often call the Second Amendment when we see encroaching or encroachments on our liberty here. I often call it, is it, is it really the Second Men- uh, Amendment or is it an expensive hobby? Because ammo ain't cheap, y'all. Guns aren't cheap. I don't know when the last time it was that you were looking for a firearm, looking to purchase a, a firearm. Guns are not cheap. Ammo is not cheap. And yet I see a lot of people who have the don't tread on me flags and or license plates that you can get in some places and post all sorts of pictures of their arsenal, literal arsenals. Great. That's awesome. Who um, apparently can't seem to be bothered to recognize some in some respects, or at least last year could not be uh, bothered to recognize the encroachments on their liberties the encroachments on their way of life, the encroachments on American exceptionalism. There are scores of people, I am convinced, that I I am convinced that just see the Second Amendment as an expensive hobby. That does not mean that I'm encouraging people, lock and load, baby. No. But you should have confidence. You should be able to go into confrontations with school boards, not locking and loading, but you should have confidence. You should be able to confront the spirit of the age, not with a gun behind your back, but with confidence knowing that if they try to come back at you in the worst possible ways, you have redress. When all of the other avenues, when all of the other avenues of having your grievances heard, have dissipated. When every institution is against you, you still have your own redress. That should give you confidence. That should give you the confidence to be able to save country without it actually going to that point, going to the point of a hot war instead of the cold one that we're in right now. By and large, though, and yet... The spirit of the age still sees those arsenals, still understands that maybe you're not, you're not willing, you're not, uh, you don't have the cojones maybe yet uh, to, to confront it head on. They, they still, they still don't want to push this envelope super hard, which is why you have the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky out there. On CNN this last weekend with a, I think it was a six or seven minute feature, Steve, talking about the mm-hmm. health, uh, the health scourge that is gun violence. They understand this. The spirit of the age understands that you may not have the cojones to confront us right now, but we still don't want to push this too, too far. Just in case in doing so, we might give you that intestinal fortitude. Again, this is not a call to lock and load. That's not what this is. This is a call to be confident, to use the levers that we have right now so that it doesn't have to come to a point of locking and loading. Because you know at the end of the day, when all of the other recourses fail around you, you still have that one recourse. This is a key distinction you're drawing. And by the way, we we told you earlier this year that, that COVID isn't uh, an outlier, it's a harvest. And that now that they have now that we have shown collectively as a people we will show our rear ends if they tell us it's a public health menace 
everything's going to be a public health menace from this time forward. I mean, we had those conversations earlier this year, Aaron, as you'll recall, we warned our audience about that. But one of the, I think you're drawing a very key distinction here. And let, let, me, let me draw an analogy to a marriage. There, there may be, when you have the commitment of a, of a, of a ring on your finger, you may, that, that entails the idea that I can maybe provide a little more honesty and transparency with, an, with this other person in my life, with this spouse, knowing that if I share something with them that might be really troubling, really difficult, um, they've made a commitment to me to not turn and run. And so I can, I can, I can, I can let them into my life at a level with that commitment that I wouldn't after a second or third date. Right. You see what I'm trying to say here? Yeah. That, 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 that ring on the finger is, uh, is a symbol that they won't cut and run with you being, um, more open about you, who you are in your life. And so that should give you confidence going in that you have that insurance correct to open up with to open up more with your spouse which frankly is what builds more intimacy in a marriage along those same lines the weapons you own are your insurance i mean i i, I can see i i can see why there are hundreds of thousands of people gathering in france and italy to protest but not berating their local uh, legislators or school boards the way that is going on here. They don't have that insurance. So they gather they gather in mass, knowing that they can't all be arrested. They can't all be rubber bulleted. They can't all be tear gassed, where if they actually showed up five or 10 of them uh, at a state legislator's office or their equivalent there in their countries or a school board, their equivalent in their country uh, meeting and really gave them uh, the what for, can't necessarily say the same thing because they don't have that insurance. They don't have that recourse. What Aaron is telling you is that because we have that insurance, you should go to the mattresses with the peaceable means we have because these aren't the only means we have. We're not afraid of exhausting these means. Government should be afraid of saying to us, hey, you came at us too hard, so we're sending the stormtroopers to your home. That that's why that it's there so that it doesn't have to be used. That's what that's the point of insurance. You have insurance in the hopes you don't ever have to use it. Right. And that's what the Second Amendment is. God given rights insurance. And therefore, we should act in the confidence of knowing that it gives us a, an extra level of commitment that just living in a democracy does not provide. Is that kind of add some some flavor Absolutely. to what you are you are articulating there? Absolutely. Very important distinction. Let's go next. Uh, well, reality has struck. This is from Rafi, actually. Rafi says, reality has struck the safety manager at our location, put up a copy of a COVID-19 vaccination status form in the mailbox of all the school bus drivers. Um, my initial response was a rather loud, well, you might as well fire me right now. But then I took the form home with me during my break and decided to do a little bit of research and hand the form back into him the way that I wanted. I already knew this form is probably illegal because of the Nuremberg Code, ADA statutes, and common tort statutes. So the three options we have to check are, I am not vaccinated, 
I am not fully vaccinated or I am fully vaccinated. Then, of course, we have to fill in the dates we got the vaccines. And when we sign, we are swearing that we have given proof of vaccination. And we understand that this is information that could be used against us later. So I found enough space to write on a fourth checkbox. Uh, I made a cute little square on the left and then I wrote next to it, uh, quote, I have been infected and fully recovered. Therefore, I have natural immunity and a 13 to 27 times greater resistance to the virus. So once I had already found a couple of links on the web, I started grabbing other links that proved the ineffectiveness of masks, stated ADA and Nuremberg code statutes, et cetera, just in case. I also came across a sample letter that one could present to an employer. Steve, I wasn't even aware, I just hadn't thought about it, that all the research and development on these vaccines was done using parts of human embryos. I mean, this adds another layer of disgust to all of this, but this letter does a really good job of articulating the reasons many are, that uh, many are making the type of request for religious exemptions, because this violates their religious conscience to use destroyed human life in order to further science. Um, then I finally, finally it detailed how any action taken by the company against me because of my vaccine status is also probably illegal and in the least very difficult to prove because of all the accommodations that must be considered before termination can be accomplished. So I guess my point is that if you know what your company is doing is wrong, do not put up with it. I mean, we can't just afford to do that. And there are resources available that can help you get started defending yourself. I guess I had a feeling that this day was coming and working for a very large school bus company. It eventually did. When it happened, I didn't even hesitate. As you have said so often, Steve, the answer is no. Nope, no way, nada, not happening. Aaron, your thoughts. So this is what every single person within the sound of our voices, this is the type of attitude you need to bring to your workplace and your employer. This is a mission field. This is not merely widgets in, money out. Time in, money out. So I can pay for my family's widgets and put food on the table. Yes, that's the function. And yes, you have to do that. Especially if you are the man of the house, you have to be able to provide for your family. That is a that is of preeminent importance. But even more important than that, is what this guy did. You have to be able you have to be able to look at this as a means of subversiveness. Amen. Seeing what we saw and, and hearing what we just heard about uh, what you were talking about Steve and France and Italy and all those European countries, that's great seeing in mass those just enormous protests. That should be really encouraging to the Frenchmen and the Englishmen and, and to those of us here in the new world as well. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what's really needed is to put your money where your mouth is. They cannot fire every single person. At least I, I hope, I hope and pray that they can't. I really don't think that is the case though. You look at the, the shortages across the country and and uh, at least the ongoing shortages in some places around the country of, of nurses. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is at this point? You have to be able to look at these types of situations. And when it's not the COVID vaccine, it'll be something else. It'll be uh, the Human Resources Office trying to shove down some woke Marxist gobbledygook. That's going to be next down the line. Are you going to take, take a stand then? 
Because as I've repeated multiple times over the last three, two, three weeks, what other, country, uh, what other company are you going to go to that's not going to mandate this type of crap if you don't put an end to it now? If you work in the public sector especially, what other public sector job is going to not mandate the COVID vaccine or not mandate the uh, racial uh, rainbow jihad uh, alphabet what uh, training? What, what company or entity are you going to work for if this type of thing is not halted in its tracks right now? Are you going to be able to turn to? You have no choice unless you just want to give in. And yes, yeah, I just said that. Now, there are some circumstances, I'm sure, if, if, if you've prayed over it, if you, if you don't really even, if you don't really even um, feel a, a, a moral or ethical quandary about this, it's just like risk-reward, you know what, I came to this conclusion, I don't blame anybody, uh, I don't expect anything, you know, that's, that's okay. But if you are wrestling with this, by all means... Don't give in. If, you're, if, if you haven't been convinced at this point and you're conflicted, the answer is no. The answer is no. You're doing yourself and your family and those around you a disservice by saying, eh, I guess I'll give in because, you know, I got I to gotta do that. No, you, you got to take a stand at some point, somewhere. In the workplace, in a, in a lot of respects and in many places, is going to be the place where it's going to be really painful to do so. I know this. Bella and I just went through this ourselves. We're waiting to hear back to see whether her religious exemption was approved. Okay, it's, it's a nerve-wracking ex- thing, thinking about I'm not in control of my own empl- employment based on something completely out of my control that I don't want to do because, you know what, I, I, I just don't have, I, I just don't have the, the data to support doing It's a nerve-wracking thing. But you know what happens when you go on offense, Steve? And this is, what I, this is what Bella and I talked about. When you go on offense and you just say no, guess who's in control again? You. You're you the person great in control. That's, that's, yeah. th- that's a really freeing thing because either they can fire you for, uh, after you know, submitting a religious exemption and you get to shoo- sue the out of them, or... They, they, they give you a religious exemption and you're back in control whether or not you want to continue working there. When you go on offense, when, you, when the answer is no, you're back in control. Dude, you're on fire right now. That was an excellent point there as well. Well said. I won't even, I won't even step on that one whatsoever. That was beautiful. You know, we hear a lot of talk these days about variants, masks, vaccines. Notice nothing about changing your lifestyle. <laughs> Eating habits or what makes you a prime candidate for being sick. Uh, the fact checkers go nuts when you suggest that there's more to being healthy than wrapping a mask around your head and getting the jab. But folks, that is just that is just common sense. That's why I use products and superfoods like Field of Greens. They use real USDA organic fruits and vegetables packed with antioxidants that can support heart health, metabolism, blood pressure, digestion as well because it's pre and probiotic and more. Uh, and uh, unlike other nutritional drinks that only rely on one or two or three vegetables, Field of Greens is packed with 18 
clinically researched essential fruits and vegetables, one scoop in any water-based drink, stir it in, and you're going to get more fruits and vegetables than the average American in that one setting, one serving. And the average American gets all day, sadly, maybe more. It's part of my first thing in the morning regimen. If you want to try it too, go to BrickHouseSteve.com. Get 15% off your first order right now for Field of Greens with the promo code Steve at checkout. 15% off when you go to BrickHouseSteve.com with the promo code Steve at checkout. Promo code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com. Let's go back to some Feedback Friday. Steve in Texas says, Aaron, listen to this one. I'm in a store wearing a yellow star. Someone asks me, why are you wearing that star? I answered, well, as you know, the fascist Nazis made the Jews wear this star to publicly shame them as dirty and second-class citizens. I wear it to support the people who choose not to get vaccinated, regardless of my own personal beliefs, because I believe in freedom, not fascism. And then I ask people, do you want a star too? What do you think of that one? That is that is excellent. I, I remember this. This kind of strikes me as uh, similar to, to last year. Remember the mask that I had? I lost it. I don't know what happened to it. Which I don't even wear. The one that made me jealous. Yeah, I I I I haven't worn. A, I can't even remember the last time I wore a mask in a store. Honestly, uh, but I had a mask uh, last year that just said "Virtue Signal" uh, across the front. This strikes me <laughs> as the same type of thing. Now I. Vaccines, I, I, I think we are getting to the point. Two months ago, if you had if you'd read this email, Steve, I would have been like, guys, it's still kind of your own choice. I, I had a little bit of a laissez-faire attitude about it, but now that it's becoming more and more politically charged, um, you know what? Uh, double-barreled salute or double-fisted, whatever you want to call it, I, I'm I'm getting closer to that point. Because people need to know, people need to know that, uh, no, no, the answer is no on this. And they just need to know that. It's similar to, to this spring uh, yelling at people I see on the bike trail or jogging or biking by themselves with a mask on. It's just like, no, time for you to be publicly shamed. Two, three, four months ago with the vaccine, I would have said no. But for people who believe that you're a second class citizen for not being vaccinated, those people need to start being shamed in public, to their face. Now, it's hard to point those people out. A lot of people, a lot of those same vaccinated people who think if you're unvaccinated, you're a second-class citizen, are the ones still wearing the masks outside and sometimes inside. But I'm getting closer to that point, Steve. A few months ago, something like this, I would have been like, eh, whatever. Now, I, now I, I, I'm picking up what he's putting down, and I dig it. That is a, that's a great clarification. Boy, you, you've taken Todd's spot, man. Friday's your day now. All right. I mean, you, you are. I'm, I might just, you know, go ahead and check out here and go find the uh, the owners of this building and let you finish up because you are in fuego right now. Uh, one of the things we're, one of the things we're going to talk about when we come back from Labor Day on Tuesday, because you just made another really important distinction. Overall. You are you are given more protection if you take the vaccine, period. Now, the debate, though, is, am I given, uh, is is that additional protection worthy of any safety risks, right? That's the calculation everybody is making. And, you know, I am in the, I'm being put in a position as a commentator and frankly, as an American of feeling compelled to highlight 
information that points out that these uh, COVID therapeutics are not magic elixirs. Now, here's why I'm doing that. If, if it wasn't a public policy debate or it wasn't, it, we weren't trying to use businesses to impose this form of apartheid or, uh, or of a medical apartheid, we, I wouldn't be commenting on this at all. It's not my realm. I'm not the expert. You should make all those calculations yourself, looking at all the data, talk to your primary care physician or your healthcare provider, and look at your particular situation and your safety um, you know, concerns and go from there. Where are you more high risk? Are you at more high risk for uh, side effects or at more high risk from the virus, right? If, if, that's, if, if, if we were not talking about imposition, there's no way we'd be talking about these vaccines as much as we do on this show nor the way that we talk about them on this show. But see, it's not now just as, it's, it's, it's like the debate, we, the discussion, the distinction we drew at the very beginning of this, Aaron, when we said about lockdowns and those things, we are not here to question the efficacy of, uh, of certain um, solutions as it pertains to treating a virus of unknown origin. We're here to debate the public policy, right? Right. There's the pathology. Remember that distinction we drew day one? Yep. There's the pathology of the virus, and then there's the public policy they're asking all of us to partake in. And therefore, we have a right to ask, is the cure worse than the disease, right? Yep. That's the same debate we're having right now with the vaccines. I'm here to tell you almost blanketly, you will get additional protection for how long, how much. That's all up for debate. You will get additional protection by taking these vaccines based on the data I have looked at. However, it's not, it's, 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 not, it's not a one-sided equation. There's another variable to add here. And that is, what about the, effect, the side effect concerns? And then how about the fact I got to keep getting them now reinjected apparently every five or six months? See, if this was strictly a medical issue, we wouldn't be discussing this on this show nearly as much as we do, and certainly not the way that we do. But they want to make it a policy issue and impose it on us. So yeah, that means we are going to look at something that we're not experts on in a more critical light. More Feedback Friday in a moment. All right, Aaron, I'm a little calmer than I was uh, or have been, and you can probably guess why, right? Built Bar time. Yeah, it was indeed. Uh, it was uh, it was Built Bar time again, uh, brought in that specialty, that glorious specialty flavor known as Rocky Road, which was absolutely phenomenal. Folks, if you've never tried it before, you know what? Take the same road I did. Just start with their everyday assortment box. Uh, mint brownie, the coconut, which tastes like uh, Mounds Joy. Uh, mint brownie, if you like chocolate mint stuff, you know that's one of my favorite flavors. That's a delicious flavor. Cookies and cream is one of the most popular flavors they have. You can kind of pick and choose. I'm about going to tell you, hey, uh, you can put three different flavors in your box to get you started on Built Bar and see what the big deal is. Get the coconut, get the mint brownie, and get cookies and cream. And then you'll thank me later. And then you're on the list when the specialty flavors like Rocky Road come out or come back. Or like chocolate chip cookie dough, my absolute favorite flavor, recently came back earlier this week. All of them, even the most decadent of flavors, the average Bill Bar is about four to five net grams of carbs uh, or sugar. Some, some go as high as seven or eight. And yet they taste every bit as good as those candy bars loaded with carbs and loaded with sugar and loaded with fat and loaded with calories. Built Bar isn't loaded by any of those things, uh, but it is loaded with protein. So if you want the greatest protein bar of all time, 
Go to built.com, B-U-I-L-T for built.com. Use my last name, Dace, as your promo code. Get the greatest protein bar ever at built.com, B-U-I-L-T, promo code Dace. All right, let's continue. John says, I am a healthcare worker in Washington State. When you began this year with The Answer Is Us, I really wasn't sure what kind of effect a person such as myself could have in the Democratic People's Republic of Washington under our dear leader, Lord Inslee. When our employer rolled out a vaccine mandate several weeks ago, my wife and I joined with three of our friends from work to try to stand against it. Our small group grew to over 500 members in three weeks and includes healthcare workers, first responders, and educators. We're filing for religious exemptions at the advice of a legal group you introduced me to on your program. We are holding the line against this tyranny and will be terminated rather than submit to this injustice. Our healthcare system will collapse without us. Our first responder capabilities will collapse without us. And the answer is us. Pray for us. Amen, brother. Thanks for all you guys do. You're really making a difference. John, one plants, another waters, brother, but God gives the increase, okay? We're planting seeds, bro. That's all we're doing on this show. We are planting seeds. But unless men like you and women, it's just I'm singling you out as a man, John, because Aaron, let's face it, we've had plenty of women willing to fight this stuff over the last year and a half. We ain't in a shortage of mama bears that want to do something about this, okay? So let me let me praise a man for taking up the fight here for a second. John, you're the hero of the story. OK, um, what you and your group have done there. This is the key. The triple braided cord is tougher to break their strength and numbers and see what he did here. They joined together right away with three of their friends. So they weren't alone. Yep. It's so much easier for them to pick us off as free agents by ourselves and then when they see that other people that think like you stay quiet because like they're going to do the same thing to me no rise in unison as one voice don't just have one mama bear send her baby to school without a mask 12 mama bears do it 10 5 8 15 it's the strength in numbers. That's what makes these things unenforceable. And that is the key is that's the leverage game. All right. They've got the, to paraphrase the late, great Jim Morrison. They got the government, but we got the numbers five to one, baby. All right. Though I like those odds. Now, one person up against, you know, a monstrosity of a Death Star you know, that's where you're going to need divine providence to step in there because the odds are not ever in your favor. But the more of us that bind together, the better our odds get, Aaron. I couldn't have said it any, any better. And it was, I'm not exaggerating, not lying. Literally right at the beginning of, of when you started reading that email, uh, my wife just texted me a screenshot saying that her exemption had been approved at the hospital where she works. And I, I've, I don't know if others are, are getting approved as well, but I will tell you, essentially half of her department also submitted exemptions. Her department, her department yeah. is basically responsible for getting people out of the hospital, for coordinating everything that goes into getting people to discharging people. If they lose half of that department... Where are the beds going to be opening up and coming from? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Find those leverage points. Find those pressure points that you have available to you. Maybe it's not something like that, but within each job, by and large, by and large, I know there are in, in the corporate world there are a lot of cookie cutter type of things, but uh, within each job there are some areas of specialty, or within the areas of specialty, if you don't work in an area of of uh, uh, of special training or or what have you. I'm pretty sure there's going to be at least a few people that do have that, that you can probably recruit. Again, the, the, the strength in numbers is where it's at. Because still, despite the spirit of the age being prevalent in the corporate boardrooms, you know what the uh, corporate boardrooms like above all else? Even if some of their business decisions to us don't seem to make it seem like this, they like that money still. And if yes. you pose a threat... To that in any way, in even a small way, to their bottom line, uh, guess what they're going to be more willing to do? They're going to be more willing to be, oh, you know what, I think we can be a little bit more flexible on, on second thought on this XYZ fill in the blank. Strength in numbers, find the pressure points, and remember, above all, that corporations, most businesses, are driven primarily by the bottom line and stinginess in that regard. Remember that. Remember that you have the power. I was talking to a really good friend of mine earlier this week, his wife who works in healthcare, but she's on the administrative side. And she's still working from home, Aaron. Her... They're trying to force her to get vaccinated, even though she's working from home. And get this, the deadline, they won't start accepting applications for a religious exemption until September 7th, but the deadline to comply with the company policy is September 6th. Okay. And I'm like, brother, there's no way that's legal. And I gave him the names of our friends over at, uh, I said, Here's Matt Staver at Liberty Council, Brian, Brian Festa at uh, We The Patriots. You tell him you're a friend of mine. That, that, that homie ain't playing that, okay? See, this is how you turn people against this va- the, the, these vaccination efforts is with stuff like that, okay? First of all, why does somebody who's working from home have to forcibly be vaccinated at all? And then secondly, we won't accept um, rationales for religious exemptions until the day after the uh, deadline to honor the mandate? No, partner. And, and let me talk, we haven't addressed it from this angle before. One of the mantras, the meta-narratives that I have repeated a lot in recent weeks, you know, I went and looked at, so I was looking at data this morning before the show, and the politicization of this virus, and the virus doesn't care what our politics are, guys. Three of the four deadliest states in the country governed by Democrats, but 11 of the 20 dangerous states, most deadly states in the country, governed by Republicans. The virus... Yep doesn't care. It doesn't care. We're all, we really are. And, and, and man, I know it's just a misused cliche after, after what they pulled on us last year. But the truth is, we really are in this. We are, we're all in this together. We're all taking a risk. We all are. According to the data that I look at, the most efficacious of all the vaccines is Moderna. It also, according to bears, has the highest side effects rate. Uh, it, we're all taking a risk. You're ta- if you don't get vaccinated and you haven't had natural immunity, 
you are taking a risk. Now, given the declining efficacy of the vaccines, it's not the risk you were taking six months ago, but it's not zero either. You are taking a risk. On the other hand, if you continue to inject this new technology into your body, you also are taking a risk. And your risk is undefinable because we don't know what that will do in the long run. Just as we don't know, as I keep saying, what even an asymptomatic exposure to a virus of questionable to malicious origin means in the long run. There is no one right now breathing in America who is not taking a risk, regardless of what position they have on this. No one is without a risk. And since we're all in this together, we really ought to be working at this together. So let me give you an example. You're a small or mid-sized business owner. You're concerned about liability. If my employees don't get vaccinated, here's what I would do if it was me. I maybe I'd try to split the baby in half. Maybe I'd maybe have a vaccine. I'd have a vaccine mandate that covered me legally if someone tried to sue. Yeah, I came to your business where no one had where you're not you don't force your employees to get vaccinated. And I caught the coronavirus and now I'm in the hospital and I'm being sued. But then I would turn around and have like a, like a, a beyond Swiss cheese religious exemption at the same time. You know what I'm saying, Aaron? Right. Because that way, if I give you all those you want. You are assuming your risk. I'm not imputing. I'm not imparting that on myself. Neither the business owner nor the employee nor the consumer are, are, are riskless in this proposition. Everywhere you go with this virus percolating, you're taking a risk. Every time you take one of these injections to stop it from percolating in you, you're also taking a risk. And. This really ought to be a moment that should galvanize us together more as a people than we have been in a long, long time. But it's 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 tearing apart whatever was left of a of of e pluribus unum. And I think it just goes to show and demonstrate that there is no there is no there's no way to repair what's broken in this culture without revival. We're doomed. I mean, but if you're an employer and you really think you need to do this. Then, man, I'd honor I'd say to my employees, wink, wink, nod, nod. We certainly will entertain your religious exemptions. I mean, I just. The idea. Of you must take the same risk as me or you're a terrible person. When the risk that you choose is every bit as risky as everybody else's risk. That's just that's not how we're going to keep our civilization together here. And maybe maybe we're not meant to. And I think of things like that, Aaron, when I see stuff like this. That's what I that's what I keep coming back to is I, I mean, the there is no common foundation upon which. Americans across the board, it seems like, are are building their view of the world upon. There is no common foundation. And when that happens, when we're starting from different premises about everything, you eventually come to places like this, where there's no possible reason, no possible reason 
why you would want to maybe pump the brakes on getting the vaccine, other than that you're an anti-science, anti-vaxxer. There's no possible reason why you might want to try, you might want to try um, ivermectin, other than you're just a brain-dead rube who wants to take horse paste. There's no possible reason why you don't think the mask works, other than you hate grandma and hate little Timmy. And then on the other side as well, I mean, I, I fight this as well. There's no possible reason why you're wearing a mask, why you're getting vaccinated, other than you're just a completely uh, soulless, uh, scared out of your wits uh, 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 pagan. That, that yes. may not be the p- case for everybody. I, know, I don't know about I, you. When I walk I'm around sure, Costco I and I, my own spirit. Yeah, I exactly I'm, when I'm I walk sure. around Costco and I see people masked up, young people like me masked up. Um, I, 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 I struggle not to make faces at them and stare them yep. down. Like, uh, yeah. it, who knows what their story is? Who knows what their yeah, situation they, they, is? Who knows? They might have a real high risk health profile. I don't know that. You're right. So yeah. when, when the, the foundations are, are shaken like that, when there's no in between ground, when there's no seeing each other as human beings and seeing each other and, and just actually having some humility, empathy, and the G word grace. Mm-hmm. When that's not going back and forth, you you end up you end up at precipices like the one that we're on right now. Good use of the word precipice. Hey, you know, trying to sell your home in any real estate market can be challenging, but particularly in these unprecedented, Bing. Uh, thank you, uh, economic times. That's why you want to make sure you go in with a real estate agent that you know you can trust. Now, where would you find that person? And What if we could just throw in for you as well as a little value added, a proven track record of success? Well, we can do that. And the place, well, the website name kind of says it all. Check out realestateagentsitrust.com. This is Glenn Beck's company. And this is where you're going to find the kind of agents who know they're working for you. And when you have that, you can rest assured that you're going to be in the hands of a capable team of people who are going to see your selling process through from the day you interview them until the moment you close and sign on the dotted line. And the same goes for buying a home as well. Realestateagentsitrust.com. We can probably hook you up with one just about anywhere you want to go or leave in America. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, the website is realestateagentsitrust.com. Aaron, you have any final thoughts before we close it out here today in the final minute? Yeah, I think um, maybe you and I can collaborate on this a little bit. When we go home today for the weekend, just before we get completely relaxed, I think maybe we should think about uh, opening a, a business called, I don't know, Commercial Real Estate Agents, I trust.com. <laughs> I think that would be a good idea. Or maybe maybe the owner of this building uh, needs to needs to get on there because I uh, might be looking for a new tenant uh, before too long if things continue down this path. But um, all things considered, all things considered, I, I thought we had some good content today. Uh, Steve's microphone on his phone, notwithstanding. Sorry, best we could do at uh, 10, 5, 10 minutes notice. Um, I, again, the message is clear. This has been a good week, guys. A really good week. Yes. Um, yes. Be encouraged. Like I said yesterday, let the hope flow a little bit. Be, be, it, it's okay to be hopeful sometimes. But remember, the same as it was last month and at the beginning of this year, the answer is us. And a lot of times the answer is us, meaning it means saying the answer is no. You put yourself back in control. Be hopeful. Have a good weekend. 
Very well said, my friend. Well done. Everybody enjoy your Labor Day weekend, the long weekend. We'll see you again on Tuesday. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.